The Story of Pauline Bonaparte, Volume Two of Famous Affinities of History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Famous Affinities of History by Lyndon Orr, Volume Two, The Story of Pauline Bonaparte. It was said of Napoleon long ago that he could govern emperors and kings, but that not even he could rule his relatives. He himself once declared my family have done me far more harm than i have been able to do them good it would be an interesting historical study to determine just how far the great soldier's family aided in his downfall by their selfishness their jealousy their meanness and their ingratitude there is something piquant in thinking of napoleon as a domestic sort of person indeed it is rather difficult to do so when we speak his name we think of the stern warrior hurling his army up bloody slopes and on to bloody victory he is the man whose steely eyes made his haughtiest marshals tremble or else the wise far-seeing statesman and lawgiver but decidedly he is not the household model we read of his sharp speech of women of his outrageous manners at the dinner-table and of the thousand or more details which madame de remusson has chronicled and perhaps in part invented for there has always existed the suspicion that her eminence was that of a woman who had herself sought the imperial favor and had failed to win it but in fact all these stories relate to the napoleon of courts and places and not to the napoleon of home in his private life this great man was not merely affectionate and indulgent but he even showed a certain weakness where his relatives were concerned so he let them prey upon him almost without end he had a great deal of the italian largeness and lavishness of character with his family when a petty officer he nearly starved himself in order to give his younger brother louis a military education he was devotedly fond of children and they were fond of him as many anecdotes attest his passionate love for josephine before he learned of her infidelity is almost painful to read and even afterward when he had been disillusioned and when she was paying foch a thousand francs a day to spy upon napoleon's every action he still treated her with friendliness and allowed her extravagance to embarrass him he made his eldest brother joseph king of spain and spain proved almost as deadly to him as did russia he made his youngest brother jerome king of westphalia and jerome turned the place into a pigsty and brought discredit on the very name of bonaparte his brother louis for whom he had starved himself he placed upon the throne of holland and louis promptly devoted himself to his own interests connivining at many things that were inimical to france he was planning high advancement for his brother lucien and lucien suddenly married a disreputable actress and fled with her to england where he was received with pleasure by the most persistent of all napoleon's enemies so much for his brothers incompetent ungrateful or openly his foes but his three sisters were no less remarkable in the relations which they bore to him they had been styled the three crowned courtesans and they have been contemned together as being utterly void of principle and monsters of ingratitude much of this censor was well deserved by all of them by caroline baileys and pauline but when we look at the facts impartially we shall find something which makes pauline stand out alone as infinitely superior to her sisters of all other bonapartes she was the only one who showed fidelity and gratitude to the emperor her brother even madame mere napoleon's mother who beyond all question transmitted to him his great mental and physical power did nothing for him at the height of his splendor she hoarded sous and france and grumbly remarked all this is for a time it isn't going to last pauline however was in one respect different 
from all her kindred napoleon made elise a princess in her own right and gave her the grand duchy of tuscany he married caroline to marshal murat and they became respectively king and queens of naples for pauline he did very little less in fact than for any other member of his family and yet she alone stood by him to the end this feather-headed languishing beautiful distracting morsel of frivolity who had the manners of a kitten and the morals of a cat nevertheless was not wholly unworthy to be napoleon's sister one has to tell many hard things of her and yet one almost pardons her because of her underlying devotion to the man who made the name of bonaparte illustrious for ever caroline queen of naples urged her husband to turn against his former chief elise sour and greedy threw in her fortunes with the murrets pauline as we shall see had the one redeeming trait of gratitude to those who knew her she was from girlhood an incarnation of what used to be called femininity we have to-day another and a higher definition of womanhood but to her contemporaries and to many modern writers she has seemed to be the first of all women woman to the tips of her rosy fingernails says levi those who saw her were distracted by her loveliness they say that no one can form any idea of her beauty from her pictures a veritable masterpiece of creation she had been called frederick masson declares she was so much more the typical woman that with her the defects common to women reached the highest development while her beauty attained a perfection which may justly be called unique no one speaks of pauline bonaparte's character or of her intellect but wholly of her loveliness and her charm and it must be added of her utter lack of anything like a moral sense even as a child of thirteen when the bonapartes left corsica and took up their abode in marseilles she attracted universal attention by her wonderful eyes her grace and also by her utter lack of decorum which she showed the bonaparte girls at this time lived almost on charity the future emperor was then a captain of artillery and could give them but little out of his scanty pay pauline or as they called her in those days paulette wore unbecoming hats and shabby gowns and shoes that were full of holes Nonetheless, she was sought out by several men of note, among them Friron, a commissioner of the convention. He visited Pauline so often as to cause unfavorable comment. But he was in love with her, and she fell in love with him to the extent of her capacity. She used to write to him love-letters in Italian, which were certainly not lacking in ardor. Here is the end of one of them. I love you always and most passionately. I love you forever, my beautiful idol, my heart, my appealing lover. I love you, love you, love you the most loved of lovers and i swear never to love any one else this was interesting in view of the fact that soon afterward she fell in love with chenot who became a famous marshal but her love affairs never gave her any serious trouble and the three sisters who now began to feel the influence of napoleon's rise to power enjoyed themselves as they had never done before at Antip, they had a beautiful villa and later a mansion at milan by this time napoleon had routed the austrians in italy and all france was ringing with his name what was pauline like in her maidenhood arnaud says she was an extraordinary combination of perfect physical beauty and the strange moral laxity she was as pretty as you please but utterly unreasonable she had no more manners than a schoolgirl talking incoherently giggling at everything and nothing and mimicking the most serious persons of rank general richard who knew her then tells in his monograph of the private theatricals in which pauline took part and of the sport which they had behind the scenes he says the bonaparte girls used literally to dress us they pulled our ears and slapped us but they always kissed and made up later 
who used to stay in the girls' room all the time when they were dressing. Napoleon was anxious to see his sisters in some way settled. He proposed to General Mormon to marry Pauline. The girl was then only seventeen, and one might have some faith in her character. But Mormon was shrewd, and knew her far too well. The words in which he declined the honor are interesting. I know that she is charming and exquisitely beautiful, yet I have dreams of domestic happiness, of fidelity and of virtue. Such dreams are seldom realized, I know, still in the hope of winning them. And then he paused, coughed, and completed what he had to say in a sort of mumble, but his meaning was wholly clear. He would not accept the offer of Pauline in marriage, even though she was the sister of his mighty chief. Then Napoleon turned to General Leclerc, with whom Pauline had for some time flirted, as she had flirted with almost all the officers of Napoleon's staff. Leclerc was only twenty-six. He was rich and of good manners, and rather serious and in poor health. This was not precisely the sort of husband for Pauline, if we look at it in a conventional way, but it served Napoleon's purpose, and it did not in the least interfere with his sister's intrigues. Poor Leclerc, who really loved Pauline, grew thin, and graver still in manner. He was sent to Spain and Portugal, and finally was made commander-in-chief to the French expedition to Haiti, where the famous black rebel Toussaint de Louverture was heading an uprising of the Negroes. Napoleon ordered Pauline to accompany her husband. Pauline flatly refused, although she made this an occasion of ordering mountains of pretty clothes and pyramids of hats, but still she refused to go on board the flagship. Leclerc expostulated and pleaded, but the lovely witch laughed in his face and still persisted that she would never go. Word was brought to Napoleon, and he made short work of her resistance. Bring a litter, he said, with one of his steely glances, or the six grenadiers to thrust her into it, and see that she goes on board forthwith. And so, screeching like an angry cat, she was carried on board and set sail with her husband and one of her former lovers. She found Haiti and Santo Domingo more agreeable than she had supposed. She was there a sort of queen who could do as she pleased, and have her orders implicitly obeyed. Her dissipation was something frightful. Her folly and her vanity were beyond belief. But at the end of two years both she and her husband fell ill. He was stricken down by the yellow fever, which was decimating the French army. Pauline was suffering from the results of her life in a tropical climate. Leclerc died, the expedition was abandoned, and Pauline brought the general's body back to France. When he was buried, she, still recovering from her fever, had him interred in a costly coffin and paid him the tribute of cutting off her beautiful hair and burying it with him. What a touching tribute to her dead husband, said someone to Napoleon. The emperor smiled cynically as he remarked, Hmm. Of course she knows that her hair is bound to fall out after her fever, and that it will come in longer and thicker for being cropped. Napoleon, in fact, though he loved Pauline better than his other sisters, or perhaps because he loved her better, was very strict with her. He obliged her to wear mourning and to observe some of the proprieties, but it was hard to keep her within bounds. Presently it became noised about that Prince Camillo Borghese was exceedingly intimate with her. The prince was an excellent specimen of the fashionable Italian. He was immensely rich. His palace at Rome was crammed with pictures, statues, and every sort of artistic treasure. He was the owner, moreover, of the famous Borghese jewels, the finest collections of diamonds in the world. Napoleon rather sternly insisted upon her marrying Borghese. Fortunately, the prince was very willing to be connected with Napoleon, while Pauline was delighted at the idea of having diamonds that would eclipse all the gems which Josephine possessed. For, like all the Bonapartes, she detested her brother's wife. 
so she would be married and show her diamonds to josephine it was a bit of feminine malice which she could not resist the marriage took place very quietly at joseph bonaparte's house because of the absence of napoleon but the newly made princess was invited to visit josephine at the palace of st claude here was to be the triumph of her life she spent many days in planning a toilet which should be absolutely crushing to josephine whatever she wore must be a background for the famous diamonds finally she decided on green velvet when the day came pauline stood before a mirror and gazed at herself with diamonds glistening in her hair shimmering around her neck and fastened so thickly on her green velvet gown as to remind one of a moving jewel casket she actually shed tears of joy then she entered her carriage and drove out to st claude but the creole josephine though no longer young was a woman of great subtlety as well as charm stories had been told to her of the green velvet and therefore she had her drawing-room redecorated in the most uncompromising blue it killed the green velvet completely as for the diamonds she met that manoeuvre by wearing not a single gem of any kind her dress was an indian muslin with a broad hem of gold her exquisite simplicity coupled with her dignity of bearing made the princess pauline with her shower of diamond and her green velvet displayed against the blue seem absolutely vulgar josephine was most generous in her admiration of the borghese gems and she kissed pauline on parting the victory was hers there was another story of a defeat which pauline met from another lady one madame de coutard this was at the magnificent ball given to the most fashionable world of paris pauline decided upon going and intended in her own phrase to blot out every woman there she kept the secret of her toilet absolutely and she entered the ballroom at the psychological moment when all the guests had just assembled she appeared and at sight of her the music stopped silence fell upon the assemblage and a sort of quiver went through everyone her costume was of the finest muslin bordered with golden palm leaves four bands spotted like leopard's skin were wound around her head while these in turn were supported by little clusters of golden grapes she had copied the headdress of a bachante de louvre all over her person were cameos and just beneath her breasts she wore a golden band held in place by an engraved gem her beautiful wrists arms and hands were bare she had in fact blotted out her rivals nevertheless madame de Couton took her revenge she went up to pauline who was lying on a divan to set off her loveliness and began gazing at the princess through a double eye-glass pauline felt flattered for a moment and then became uneasy the lady who was looking at her said to a companion in a tone of compassion what a pity she really would be lovely if it weren't for that for what returned her escort why are you blind it is so remarkable that you surely must see it pauline was beginning to lose her self-composure she flushed and looked wildly about wondering what was meant then she heard madame coutard say why her ears if i had such ears as those i would cut them off pauline gave one great gasp and fainted dead away as a matter of fact her ears were not so bad they were simply very flat and colourless forming a contrast with the rosy tints of her face but from that moment no one could see anything but these ears and thereafter the princess wore her hair low enough to cover them this may be seen in the statue of her by canova it was considered a very daring thing for her to pose for him in the nude for only a bit of drapery is thrown over her lower limbs yet it is true that this statue is absolutely classical in its conception and execution and its interest is heightened by the fact that its model was what she afterwards styled herself with true napoleonic pride a sister of bonaparte 
Pauline detested Josephine and was pleased when Napoleon divorced her, but she also disliked the Austrian Archduchess Marie Louise, who was Josephine's successor. On one occasion, at a great court function, she got behind the Empress and ran out her tongue at her, in full view of all the nobles and distinguished persons present. Napoleon's eagle eye flashed upon Pauline and blazed up like fire upon eyes. She actually took to her heels, rushed out of the ball, and never visited the court again. It would require much time to tell of her other eccentricities, of her intrigues, which were innumerable, of her quarrel with her husband, and of the minor breaches of the quorum, with which she startled Paris. One of these was her choice of a huge negro to bathe her every morning. When someone ventured to protest, she answered naively, What? Do you call that thing a man? And she compromised by compelling her black servitor to go out and marry someone at once, so that he might continue his ministrations with propriety. To her, Napoleon showed himself far more severe than with either Caroline or Elise, gave her a marriage dowry of half a million francs, when she became the Princess of Borghese, but after that he was continually checking her extravagances. Yet in 1814, when the downfall came and Napoleon was sent into exile to Elba, Pauline was the only one of all his relatives to visit him and spend her time with him. His wife fell away and went back to her Austrian relatives. Of all the Bonapartes, only Pauline and Madame Mere remained faithful to the Emperor. Even then Napoleon refused to pay a pill of hers of sixty-two francs, while he allowed her only two hundred and forty francs for the maintenance of her horses. But she, with a generosity of which one would have thought her quite incapable, gave to her brother a great part of her fortune. When he escaped from Elba and began the campaign of 1815, she presented him with all the Borghese diamonds. In fact, he had them with him in his carriage to Waterloo, where they were captured by the English. Contrast this with the meanness and ingratitude of her sisters and her brothers, and one may well believe that she was sincerely proud of what it meant to be La Sœur de Bonaparte. When he was sent to St. Elena, she was ill in bed and could not accompany him. Nevertheless, she tried to sell all her trinkets, of which she was so proud, in order that she might give him help. When he died, she received the news with bitter tears, on hearing all the particulars of that long agony. As for herself, she did not long survive. At the age of forty-four, her last moments came. Knowing that she was to die, she sent for Prince Borghese and saw the reconciliation. But after all, she died as she had lived. Queen of Trinkets, La Reine de Colifiché. She asked the servant to bring a mirror. She gazed into it with her dying eyes, and then, as she sank back, it was with a smile of deep content. I am not afraid to die, she said. I am still beautiful. End of the story of Pauline Bonaparte. Recording by Ellie, August 2009.